What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Consequence Podcast Network. People, Leo Phillips here with This Must Be The Gig, your backstage pass to the world of live music and performance. Every week we bring you fascinating conversations from the beating heart of the performance scene with some of the most exciting names on this gigantic big spongy globe. I talk to my guests about passion, first concerts, insights into the creative mind during this very, very unusual time and everything in the Juicy Centre. Today, I am delighted to bring you a conversation with Alex Ebert. You always have to leave room for confusion. In addition to leading Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros and I'm a Robot, Alex also won a Golden Globe for scoring the Robert Redford starring film All Is Lost. And now, Alex has just released his second album under his own name, I vs. I. We chat about a lot. The record's inspiration, meeting Jim Carrey, seeing Millie Vanilli as a kid, and of course the concept of the stage persona. It is a wonderful chat. His mind is just brilliant, and it felt very, very important to have a conversation like that right now. And speaking of important conversations we need to be having right now... Oh, hello. Hey, hi. Welcome. It's me, Engineer Adam, Um, on the show. Hi. So what do we, so how was the, how was it listening back to this conversation? It really is a fascinating look at what artists are thinking about in this moment where so much is up in the air, but you also have to kind of try to make a plan for the future. It's, it's so complex and... It's also really difficult to answer the question about how they are feeling. And of I course, find yeah. I'm so glad that this conversation happened pre-COVID, right, not right. because of everything that's happened, but because we 
got to actually touch on a lot of things that are relevant now anyway. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Despondent, because I feel like it's very hard to ask people and exploit the concept of the struggling artist right now, where we could really just be shining a light on everything good that's happening and try and all just do our best. And I think a big part of that we can do is by using this little platform here to talk about some organizations (laughs) that really could use a hand right now. So from now on, of course, what we do normally is we do shout out a few charities that we love and that we personally support with our whole hearts and I think that especially during this time if you've been asking yourself how can I help what can I do I don't have any money or I do have money and you felt completely overwhelmed by the number of answers to that very very question of how can I help we have an answer for you and we're going to be sharing going forward just a few places and charities that really need the help and your money goes directly into their pockets and it will be going to a wonderful cause. So this week I want to shed a light on a very personal charity because it is based in my hometown of Cape Town, South Africa. It is an initiative called Raising Hope started by Chad Nathan, who has been documenting the coronavirus lockdown in Cape Town since March 27th. And through obviously documenting it, he's seen the impact of the disease and and what it's been doing to the less fortunate in South Africa. And working alongside the amazing four charities, Cans with Purpose, Ladles of Love, Breadline Africa and Courage. And the last few weeks, he's been witnessing all of the amazing work that they are doing for those in need. Right now, his focus is on assisting and providing aid right before South Africa approaches wintertime. There's a lot of homeless people on the streets. And as he outlines in his Back a Buddy campaign, which is similar to a GoFundMe, I'm assuming here in the States, obviously, we don't need to tell you what winter and cold weather can present for those lacking essential items. He says, we are all going through this unprecedented time together and it's unclear how long it will actually last, which we all know. And with that said, every single cent counts and he's hoping to raise at the moment as of today, 250,000 rand. It sounds like a lot in rands and it absolutely is a lot in rands. He will, I'm hoping that this will just crash through at least um, uh, higher numbers. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's essentially around like thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars in three days. That's incredible. In three days, he's already achieved over two hundred thousand rand uh, to help these organisations to continue to give back to all of those in need. And then, what happens is that money will then. That money raised will then be evenly divided amongst Cans with Purpose, Ladles of Love, Breadline Africa and Courage and will then be put into the efforts of combating the effects of coronavirus. So if you want to give, even if it's $10, $20, $100, even if it's to share the link, anything you can really help. That question you're asking, how can I help? There are a lot of ways and this is one of them. It is backabuddy.co.za. That's B-A-C-K-A-B-U-D-D-Y.co.za slash champion slash project slash raising dash hope 2020. And I will put that link into our show's description and everywhere we throw it everywhere. Everywhere we talk on the post in the (laughs) podcast description. It'll be everywhere. Another really exciting thing right now is that we're closing in on episode 100. Wow. Can you believe that? 100 episodes. It's such a strange thing to be able to quantify this entire experience because it's just felt like two years of blob. 
it's, of a creative blob. It's just been continuous and ongoing and amorphous, but so many amazing things have happened in that time. I know. So please, whoever is listening to this, if you have a favorite episode in the 100 episodes that we've run so far, let us know. Tell us your favorite episode, uh, what it was, why it was, and email us at thismustbethegig at gmail.com. You could do that via text, or you can even record a voice note and email it to us straight into that inbox, and we can pop it into the old episode. We can listen and react and and, uh, talk about your favorite moments. And we will also send you a photo of Pod Puppy sleeping on top of our mixer, (laughs) which she's doing right now. So let us not be delayed. Take care. Be safe. Give if you can. And uh, just do your best. This is me and Alex. Enjoy. consciously tried to cut down on touring so much why yeah i just i had had enough of it i think and and it, it was taxing my body it was taxing my uh, relationship it was taxing my fatherhood and it also had just become like rote it wasn't a genuine inspire. you know it wasn't inspired anymore it was business do you find that it's so tied to artistry like for the, you know, there's so many different processes for a creative, 
but I sometimes feel like obviously tacking on touring onto that all and putting that as like a package sometimes is really difficult to navigate as an artist because as you mentioned it's hard to shift your entire life around touring when it isn't inspiring for you so do you find that it's just part of the package of being an artist or do you think really like in 2020 and beyond you can make your own you can design your own life well it depends what your what your artistic sort of superpowers are if um i mean on the whole touring was used to promote the album mm-hmm. after the album was invented before that's all a musician had right they were the traveling troubadour they the live show was everything that was the art so there is art in the touring and in the traveling and in the performing um, for sure, um, a lot. But the the streamlined sort of economy of it pretty readily, handily kills whatever inspiration started the uh, started you off. Is it just because you've got to slot into a routine? Obviously, I, I can guess what are you know the negative aspects of it, of course. But for you, outside of your personal life and how it has impacted it. What are the other things that just doesn't suit you and your art form now in terms of touring? It's the sort of repetitive nature of it. It strips you of adventure in a way um, because everything, it seems adventuresome, but everything gets so tied down to a schedule. You know, there's really not much room for accident and, uh, and, and creation. So largely what you're doing is you're regurgitating things that you were inspired to create. And while that can be, you know, really brilliant you know nine months a year of it you know you you end up sort of the the scales tip too far into the the zone of the performer and 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 less of the creator you know i think what's also fascinating it is is how that shifts and changes of course as your life is shifting and changing so maybe once when you're younger and you don't have much to really rely on or many responsibilities you know, directly next to you, maybe it, that also impacts it a little bit. And also maybe the potential of what you're singing about as well and the art inside that artistry. Because everybody has such a different relationship toward it, you know? I like this line of questioning, I really do. I'll, I'll, I'll make like a sort of more bold statement about it, I suppose, which is that um, writing songs is more of a commune, more of a communing with the the ethers, with the gods, with the universe, in that the way I feel about it, it's a celestial archaeology, and you're going around the universe coming up with ideas. You're going down and coming up. Things are coming to you. You're polishing off uh, the wing of some visionary wild beast Mm. uh, that you found out in in the galaxy system and then you're figuring out what spine goes with it and what feathers and what beak and what eyes and um and you're really you're in a communication with the universe you know you really are with the muse whatever you want to call it um with inspiration with instinct and you have that to some extent on stage but like to be totally honest there's only so many sort of avenues to explore in terms of how to um, how to keep replicating a particular discovery, i.e. a particular song. And you have that song, and you have that car you invented, let's say, let's say it's a, 
it's an eagle with fire hook talons and you and you've invented it and now you go out and you replicate it every night you're like this is the eagle that i found this is the eagle that i found this is the this is the eagle that i found like how many different ways do you say this is the eagle that i found before you feel like i want to go discover another animal and um and that's sort of what it's like. Because obviously that's a mode of connection for many artists, right? They feel somewhat disconnected. And this is just from kind of just chatting to people for my whole career. Some people only connect via connection with others. So they, But essentially between you and me, they're obviously connecting because they're getting some sort of reaction. So, the, you know, others will put out an album and their music and then allow it just to live in in another life with a different face others take it on the road and then wait for that reaction to get validation so what's your connection how do you get validation then Mm. yeah feedback is uh you know whatever the feedback is you know yeah just like knowing that what you're sharing has been heard right i think that's part of the show and tell part of the part of the experience of of, you know, being inspired is wanting to share that inspiration with people. I came up with a great recipe and I want to, now I want to open a restaurant. I came up with a great, you know, song and now I want to sing it. Listen to this. Hey, hey dad, watch this pool shot. Like, like whatever the thing is, watch me do a flip. Like you figure something out and then you want to show people that you can do it. And it's just a childish, it just is what it is. It's sharing. It's cool. Um, and then those, those sharings go on to inspire other people to do other things. And, um, whatever we 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 explore the, the the extremities of ourselves. So that's no matter what, in whatever regard, live, recorded, you know. Well, you have to have a certain armor as an artist. I, I yeah. think that it can't be simply that uh, that you need a certain response, or you'll quit, or you'll die, yeah. or you'll cry, um, you know. And whatever that story is, is that that artists tell themselves you know like like i think a really potent one is well um if i feel like i'm doing something truly sort of special and it's not being recognized right now um but i really feel upon reflection that it's special then i can always take solace in the length of history and the length of time and that eventually, you know, some kid will be diving through some digital file <laughs> on Mars yeah. and be come across this shit and be like, oh, shit, <laughs> and share so that snapped. shit with his friends. <laughs> yeah. And that and that that sort of uh, segmenting is like kind of important, I think. Yeah, I find it fascinating because, of course, everybody has naturally a unique connection toward touring and or live performance in a way but it isn't it's not like you can compartmentalize it like I don't find it's in a silo you know you you unless you are putting on a persona on stage which I I don't know if you do no no then I guess that's where the disconnect comes you know then you can go out there no there's the same um it's the same essence it's the same um I only get something really good in the studio when I'm in quote unquote the zone to just be corny for a second. Like, you know, that thoughtless place of, you know, inspiration and like whatever sports, you know, athletes slip into, musicians slip into, like whatever we do when we slip into the zone and we're just thoughtless and we're in uh, communication with the spirit. Um, it's the same thing on stage, off stage, like all of it is the same falling in love, like all that shit is, you know, bubbling from the same 
same route, I think. So, yeah, no, they're all entwined for sure, on stage, off stage, the whole fucking thing. Do you remember the first time that you ever performed in front of anyone? Or perhaps we can recall the time that you felt like all of those things were connected and there wasn't any repetition and that Eagle was, you know, fully formed and you weren't bored <laughs> of him. I mean, I feel like that every day. I feel like, I, I think that in so many ways, I think, you know, like, like you're the artist and all, but like really you're more the archeologist, the paleontologist, the fucking zoologist that's discovering these creatures of thought. And as soon as you create them, like you become the audience and you're satisfied by their greatness, you know, um, it's like being at the zoo all of a sudden. Um, and I think that I get a lot of satisfaction just, you know, like, as my kid will say, like, gee, Papa, you sure like your own music, huh? Like, you know, making fun of me. Um, and it's true. Like, I get a lot of satisfaction out of uh, creating. It would be very strange if you didn't, though. Right. You're right. Like, because you're dedicating your entire life to this one thing. That, yeah. like, it would be kind of strange if you hated, yeah. hated your own music. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's like if an author couldn't even read their own words or a poet couldn't like look down on the page. You know, there's like a certain amount of pride that you almost have to have if you are crea the one creating it, you know? Yeah, you have to. It's a fallacy. It's a total, bull like the false humility of like, oh, well, it just, you know, it's, it's like, come on, <laughs> you're sharing it. You're, you're spending all day doing it, yeah. you know, because you love it. I think confidence and like ego are often like conflated in that moment. You know, when people are just trying to be humble, which I understand, I love humility, but there's also a certain power to being incredibly in tune with oneself and really owning like, oh, I know I'm shit i know i'm like the great i'm the the power it's like kind of like lizzo i feel like she exudes that she's like i i know i'm great you know i quite like when people own their own work yeah i know well there's a certain earnestness required with being with pride and and earnestness is illegal you know it's against the law of rock and roll you can't be earnest you could be sarcastic you could be ironic um but you can't you can't be earnest. Um, and I think that's why earnestness uh, requires the most courage, why earnestness is actually the most punk rock form of expression right now. Mm -hmm. um, because um, because it's, uh, it's dangerous. Because not only is it culturally dangerous, but it's dangerous to put yourself out there in a way that where you actually are saying, I believe what I'm saying. Um, because... When you say that, you open yourself up for humiliation and failure. Right. But if we didn't have humiliation and failure as prospects, what need would we have for courage? So it's the most punk rock shit. So, but anyway, saying, for instance, the worst, right? The most difficult is to be like, I'm a poet. Like, I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> I'm yeah. a poet. Well, because you can see it and smell it, right? Like you can, it's like a word, it's so visceral. Like you can see it, you can smell it, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can taste it. Like that word is... And also it's like tantamount to saying guru. Like if you say I communicate with the universe, like I've just been saying for the last 30 minutes is exactly what I do. Yeah. So if I was to say I was a poet, that's like me going around being like, oh, I'm a guru. It's the same thing. It's like yeah. you're supposed to dive into the universe and come back with gems. Right. And lay them into the ears of people. Like it's the same shit. But are you conscious of how you speak? Like, is it is it something that you are aware of? Like, do you not tend to 
like do because you mentioned earlier like the word guarded i definitely feel like that's a good thing of course for anybody public facing nowadays we've just been talking about that but are you intentional about the things that you say or do you really just believe that like, you are confident that people will understand you no uh, you always have to leave room for confusion it's very important <laughs> um <laughs> with me because... nope. <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> no, i hear you no i i think I think it's very important because, um, you know, I mean, that's my version of pessimism is ambiguity. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that I'm pessimistic. It's that I don't necessarily know that I know. I know that I know. But like, I also know that I don't know, you know, like there's a whole there's a whole gestalt to like, you know, like I call it Kung Fu and mud where like like, you know, a part of life like confusion. If you just allow confusion for a moment, it dissolves itself. If you no longer have a need to clarify the unclarifiable, then suddenly the unclarifiable doesn't, it's not uh, making you dumb anymore. And um, I don't know, there's an interesting sort of like, essentially what it does is make you rely on the moment. So instead of having foreknowledge, you just have momentary knowledge. And I think that momentary knowledge is what you need on stage. It's what gets you in the zone. When you're in the zone, you don't necessarily fucking know anything you're just reacting anyway yeah that's what i got to say (laughs) i really i mean i I don't know about you but i've i there's not many people that i can have these kinds of conversations with so i feel like it definitely it's it's not so you know it's not so easy to get into the kind of cracks and like dig deep into the core of passion and and artistry i know i know i know i know no, it's fun. It's one of my favorite things to talk about because it's so rare. Yeah. But I know that like a little bit about your past, of course, some of just the things that I've kind of always picked up is that your that a lot of your family were also actors. <laughs> yeah, my mom is a theater. They they were both theater actors. My yeah. mom's still a theater actress and she teaches at like the uh, actor studio in LA. She's ah. she's cool as hell. And then, um, yeah, my dad and they met in acting class um, oh. in New York back in the day. <laughs> but did you did you ever find did you want to go into something like that, or did you use any of that to? Because of course, theater and theatrical uh, performances is something that I quite like to tie closely to what an artist does on stage with, you know, their fellow musicians yeah. and their band. But did that, like, was art kind of always a comfort and a place that you wanted to explore, like that side of performance? Yeah, yeah. I keep tending toward more and more of that, actually, like, like just in my head anyway, like thinking about, you know, what the next evolution of a live show would be for me in a way that felt new or felt like, uh, like I was um, exploring, and like I was pushing myself. And I'd like to, you know, I'd like to push myself um, because... I think that's the other thing. Touring itself can be transformative art, but it has to be viewed at as more than a regurgitation and recitation of past acts. You know, it has to be viewed as an act itself and um, like as a, as a story itself. So I don't know. I'm excited to try and do that. You know, we all, we all try and do that with like video and, and whatnot, but it's always like, it's always an afterthought. It's never like, you know, it's never born for itself. Yeah. I do feel like there's kind of a trend. I mean, like I remember when I spoke to David Byrne, like he had just started this tour that he's currently on Broadway with. 
and you know they they were all running around with no shoes on in these incredible suits and it, it's it's a complete show and there's definitely yeah. that like trend i don't want to say trend because it totally. sounds like it's no, temporary totally. no it's a thing but it's it's definitely yeah, yeah, a yeah, thing a where thing. artists are like why do i need to be just going on stage at the allotted time with my band plug yeah. in play and leave like why do i need to what will i get out of yeah. that you know yeah exactly exactly and then you see like artists like jenny haval like rolling around on a yoga ball you know <laughs> like rolling around yeah, the exactly. crowd so what do you think you're gonna do because i'd love to know especially because how you look at relating this new album that you've just yeah yeah essentially what i think it'll look like is a um, an interactive participatory yada yada buzzword thing but like it's basically i don't know if you saw this colbert um performance that i did just recently um, where i had it where i had a green suit and uh, the green suit um i was in the middle of making this other music video when i found out i was going to be doing colbert Mm -hmm. and we were doing a bunch of green screen and i realized you know uh you can monitor green screen uh keying out green screen in real time in other words like the weather channel where the you know, the green board behind him is turning into weather patterns of the United States or whatever yes. in real time. But if you just wear that. So you knew you were going to do the green screen anyway. So you had that already planned. Well, I had to convince them of it and they didn't want to do it. But yeah, you got, <laughs> we got to do it. Okay. <laughs> They'd never done that before. They'd never done it where like a person is the green is screen. Is the green screen. Um, <gasps> yeah, yeah. In amazing. real time. So... Yeah, so I think I'm going to do something that's um, interactive in that capacity. I don't know. It's it's hard to describe. It's really going to have to be sort of like a sensorial sort of like overload, but basically like half half like fucking new age PowerPoint um, Ed talk, mm-hmm. and then half uh, you know performance and half sort of interactive theater, and. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really fucking looking forward to it actually. Oh my God. It's I, it's going to develop I think out of so sort of be like painting in real time and we'll refine it and all that. Yeah. This is so exciting. I'm kind of upset that I yeah. don't like I don't know when this is, when are you going on tour? Oh, nothing planned. Oh. <laughs> well, get on that, please. Get on it. Oh, this well, is yeah, so I mean, wonderful. I'll get I'll get on it soon enough. I have a second album coming out in um well, we're gonna drop it sometime between now and the fall. So okay. That's all I'll say. We're gonna drop. We're gonna drop it on a whim. But it's part two of Iversai. Oh. So there's a whole second album, and when that comes out, then um, then I'll then I'll get, get serious. Until then, I have to uh, finish studio work. Yeah. I also quite like the concept of turning yourself into a green screen. You're like also using your body as this vehicle as well, which I think is interesting, especially mm-hmm. when you like yeah, yeah. connect movement to that. And I think movement in performance is so important. Like you could do it with music, you could do it with notes and with words, but when you're actually moving your body, which is why we all love dance and uh, how that's so life-changing and transformative. But I think that the fact that you're doing it with your own body is really fascinating. That's interesting. Pause the podcast. It's time to step away just momentarily from the conversation with Alex to share a little something engineer Adam and I like to call the live show, show of, of the week. week. We get better at that every week. I Do think. we? Yeah, absolutely. I also maybe think we should change the concept to 
couch show of the week. I think if we said it that way, we'd have to say it like real relaxed, like the couch Couch show of of the week. week. I don't know. Do you feel relaxed on the couch? Not always. I feel pretty stressed (laughs) on the couch. The stressed couch show of the week. And uh, this week, we wanted to highlight an extra special show set in the world of Minecraft, if you can believe it. Lots of pixels and cubes. How does that work? Uh, You get to uh, head to the festival Square Garden. Oh. And that will feature performances from a Lior favorite, Charlie XCX, Mm -hmm. 100 Gex, Mm -hmm. Caro Caro Bonito, Mm -hmm. Cashmere Cat, and a handful of others, I believe. And uh, to tune into that, you just need to head to 100gex.com, 100, uh, let's spell that out, 100gecs.com. And all donations that you make to uh, watch will be sent to Feeding America, which works with more than 200 food banks to feed more than 46 million people in need. Wow, that's wonderful. And even if you can't tune in, you can still donate. There's an option. Yeah. There are always options. They won't say no. This was a crazy week to even shout out live stream concerts because I feel like it started with the anticipation of Fiona Apple's album. Oh my goodness. Fetch the Bolt Cutters coming out on Friday the 17th. Have you listened to anything else since then? No. I mean, (laughs) I delayed the gratification, so I only listened to it when it came out. Right, right, right. Which I was really excited by. And uh, she is just a... She is an oracle, a visionist. She is a, a seer. But and not seer. I can't, no. I don't have to explain to people why she is so wonderful, but I do feel like this. there couldn't have been a more perfect time. I, meanwhile, was listening to something a tad bit uh, heavier, let's say. Oh, what are you listening to? The metal band Pelican put out a live recording of themselves from the Grog Shop. They sound fantastic as always. I've also been really digging into the uh, Irreversible Entanglements album from uh, maybe about a month ago that it came Ooh. out. Do you find you're listening to more music because you can't go see live music or are you listening to less music because you, you can't know, see Personally, live I think music? I'm maybe listening to a little bit less just because I used to uh, have a desk in an office where I could sit and mm-hmm. listen to music constantly. But now I'm, I'm at home and it doesn't have that same sort of cordoned off space you know what i mean so i'm not uh i can't focus as easily i think i just miss being in a crowded dark room able to cry yeah cry like no one's watching it just it's it doesn't hit the same way when it's (laughs) on my on my bed or my couch that's just a normal day yeah yeah. does it doesn't hit the same way and if you are looking for a really wonderful page to follow as well go to leslie jones and I will say no more. Leslie Jones on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say no more. Anyway, let us return to this week's brilliant interview. Back to me and Alex. Enjoy. You're now going to be dropping a new album. Was that always the plan to have two things releasing? Yeah, that was always the plan. Well, it was going to be a double album at first, but then okay. we broke it up. Into two albums, yeah, about six months ago. How had this shifted? Why was all this music coming out? Like, what changed? Because, of course, you've been, you know, you have experienced, of course, with I'm a Robot and Edward Sharp and all these iterations yeah. of yourself. Um, yeah. So what changed that you started making so much music? I felt like I, I was in need of another renaissance. You know, I've, I've 
I've had a few, and I think we all kind of know when this moment is coming where suddenly the mundane has actually become the mundane. Um, and you suddenly feel like, okay, um, I'm somehow, I've lost vitality in some capacity and I need to take a look at this. <laughs> um, and I think that's an important moment to, to listen to. So I was having one of those moments and when you listen to it, it usually seems to pan out and you end up with more vitality again. And vitality essentially is the energy with which you need to create. Mm. And so I started creating more uh, once I sort of regained, regained some of that sense of um, uh, bewilderment and adventure and, uh, and necessity for courage and all that shit. And also being like, you know, more grounded. Your experience with like, I'm a robot, that always seemed a little fraught. Like you got onto, into a major labor world and then that was kind of difficult and it just didn't seem like it fit. There was like a lot of, you know, attention. Mm -hmm. But if you could go back then and kind of leap past it into the Edward Sharp world, would you do that? Like how connected are you still to that older version of yourself? Uh, can I tap into that same energy you mean? Yeah. Um, I think about that sometimes cause like the, you know, some of those guys want to get back together and it depends. And no, I don't really have the uh, appetite for it at the moment. And that's the only thing that really stops me is just the appetite. It's not the guys. It's not even the music. It's that energy. Yeah. No, not really because I'm not, I'm not in the mood to like sneer at people, you know? <laughs> and, um, you feel like you'd do that if you that. got together? I would, I would have to. I don't know if those. I don't know if it's respectful of me to uh, to go back and try and re-appro- reappropriate those songs in a more folksier sort of manner. You know. Are you specifically talking about Ed, the Edward Sharp days, or I'm a robot? What are you specifically talking about? I'm a robot. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Like the I'm a robot stuff. I wouldn't necessarily go back to the I'm a robot stuff and try and bring a different energy to it. Um, I might do that as a as a I, the step that would have to proceed that would be like a. I'd have to go back to the songs themselves and start playing them and maybe re-record them, yeah, you know, and, and yes. have a sense, have a sense of it and, and also give a sense of context for, for new shows for people. But I don't think I would just come out as I'm a robot, as you remembered and try and rock that energy right now, just cause I'm not a, I'm not into that energy. But I also wanted to ask about your relationship then with that Edward Sharp persona. Like I remember obviously some people, and that will always come. They'll treat you as some sort of character and then others just, you know, chalking it up to mm, a bad mm-hmm. name. Um, eventually, obviously, yeah. to a point that you cross that name out, you know, of, on a persona. Did that, yeah. did that yeah, kind yeah. of haziness affect you from the start or was it a, a growing change over time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, if everybody hadn't been asking me, what's it like to don a persona? So yeah. you have this persona. <laughs> so you're acting like this other person on stage. If I wasn't being asked that all the time, then yeah, I probably wouldn't have thought much about it. It, it would have remained what it initially was, which was a way for me to escape myself and get back to myself. It was a way for me to, it was an avenue for, for rediscovery, you know? So it was sort of the opposite of an act. It was the act of trying to not act. Um, because essentially what we all do in society every day is put on a fucking act. We're just like socially anxious. I don't give a fuck what any 
but he says everybody is socially anxious. Otherwise, not everybody would be wearing essentially the same clothing, period. Like, that's the end of the story. Everybody's afraid. And I don't know. That's sort of like, I don't know. I think that's sort of the, the, the general philosophy with so much of my stuff is like giving myself permission. And um, to, you know, that's like, I remember talking to Jim Carrey and being like, um, so what, you know, what, what the fuck? I, I feel a lot of kinship with, with, with him, by the way, his approach to fucking art, you know, like the, especially just, just energetically, like, especially live. Like it's the same sort of like, fuck it. I am the clown so that you can be the clown sort of energy. Um, it's a service, you know? And I was wondering like how he came to that thing. And he's like, uh, he had this phrase, um, relieve people of their concern. He's like, one day I was lying in bed and I just realized like, what I want to do is relieve people of their concern, um, relief from concern. And it's like the same thing as giving permission. And I was watching this, uh, I love that. I mean, that's how I feel about places too. Like, uh, this documentary on new Orleans, new Orleans, which is where I live. And the documentarians like asked this guy in like the seventies and he's sitting on his window. So he's got a beer in his hand. He looks so content and uh he's shirtless and they're like so why do you like new orleans he's like it's just the only place where you can just live you know <laughs> it's like this very <laughs> mundane simple ass statement but it was so profound because what he meant was it gives you permission to just live and i think that this the stage actually gives you that that's what the that's the stage's great gift is that it expects that of you. It expects you to open up yourself because that's the most compelling you and that's what everyone wants to see. Mm-hmm. It's off stage that we are fucking, you know, like personifying right, all that. So yeah. Yeah. Well, like when did you meet Jim Carrey? I love how you'd like just drop that. He's just the, he's a genius. <laughs> There's so much about him that is uh, unbelievably fascinating. Like everything that he is able to well, do, it just—he's it, so. <laughs> it's just so many layers of that human being, and it's just like beaming. Well, I know. I he's just the best. It. When did you meet him? <laughs> Where did you meet him? Uh, it was at a it was at an agent party the night before the Golden Globes because I got yes. I won a Golden Globe I I got I got a elected for a gold elected i got elected for a gold yeah you won uh, one was it 2013 yeah, anyway, won- or something 14, 14 14 yeah and at that party he was the only other person like i i got there with um, my girlfriend and we were the only we were like wow that we're this is a strange hollywood like <laughs> party you know everyone's in like a fucking tux and the only other person there who was like, you know, didn't look like everyone else was Jim Carrey. And yeah. he pointed us. He basically grabbed us. And he's like, hey, guys, like, <laughs> what, what are you guys up to? You know, because like, let's hang out. Humans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we uh, we just started talking hey, right after I got the Golden Globe and said congrats. And it was just it was sweet. It was fun. Yeah. Was fucking rad, dude. Have you kept in contact? Did you try keeping contact? I did, but you know, he changed his number on me. Oh, Jim. <laughs> he Jimmy. changed his number on me. I feel like he probably is like telling other people about you. And you both have, he's just changed his number and lost He's like, yours. I changed my number on him on accident. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like the type to like go off the grid though, very often. Sure, why not? You got to, yeah, no, burn the building every couple months, yeah. Do you do that? 
Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I kind of burn the building every day, just a little bit. Okay. So it's never a big deal. <laughs> you know? So perpetually, everything is burning. Just constantly. Yeah, I mean, I definitely burn the. I do the thing. I mean, when I stopped touring with Edward Sharp, that was a whole. Yeah. You know, that big. wasn't easy. There's 13 dudes that all depend on that money. There's a whole yeah. bunch of. You know, uh, associated pressures and. And for me, like, you know, like touring is how you make money, you know, it's like one of the main, it's not the only way, but it's one of the, it's the stablest way, you know. Did you find that you had to do it because you had hit a, a place, a, a part, or was it again like that perpetual thing where it was just kind of building for a few years that you just realized like this what, is just the not... stopping? Yeah, to just stop touring. Because I mean, there was that lineup you mentioned like 13... There's so many people. It was building for for a long time because the first inklings of the sense of that of you know needing to take a break. Yeah. Where as soon as we started doing the uh, touring for touring for money, essentially. Oh, I mean, just the whole concept of going from one gig to another to another to another, not spending any time in the city, is all to streamline the economy of the touring. You know, so that you make more money. And all of those decisions sort of rob you of the experience of, you know, traveling, which is the main part of touring. Exactly. Right. Was there no way that you could have a sit down kind of conversation and say, like, I know that we all need to make money, but is there a way for it to work around, like, having more time in the cities or doing less of it, but in more close by places? Um, with the idea that we were going to have our own bus because I'd been in a tour bus before and I knew with I'm a Robot that when you have a bus driver and a fucking fancy tour bus or on a schedule, you never get to choose where you want to go. Nothing's an adventure. It's all a fucking, you know, you're just being shuttled and, um, and expected to just live in a tube. So, you know, I was like, we bought our own bus. Let's keep this. Let's keep it like that. Let's only try and play people's homes, fucking uh, parks, parking lots. It was this sort of um, template that uh, that we discovered when we went to Marfa playing around. It was just the best. So anyway, um, and I think it's actually a really smart way to tour. But um, you know, just even you know, in terms of building like a real rapport with the pe- with the people you play for. Yeah. Anyway, so you you have enough band members and you have enough concerns and we're like, oh, but we want the bus to be safe. <laughs> mm. Um, you know, which, yeah, is legitimate, but, you know, it's not as fast of a bus or, you know, it's not the sweet. And you can't buy one of those new buses unless you want to drop half a million, a million dollars. So you, you got to rent them. And then when you rent them, they come with a driver. When they come with a driver, then insurance, and then you got a schedule and the driver has to sleep every bubble. And everything turns into, you know, and then you got the shows and you're booked here. And then you got to fight for your right not to play more than four shows a week. Otherwise, your fucking throat will burn out and it's a whole thing. You know, every it, the whole thing is like really just about workhorsing. So, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's still fun. You're still touring and lucky as hell. But um, it just but, didn't you know. suit you. Well, after a while, it just becomes uh, you don't feel like you're being you like you're like I have this limited time on earth. Am right. I utilizing my <laughs> shit correctly? Right. I mean, that's a very grown up thing to admit as well. Um, and also not self. It's like it's not selfish. It's almost selfless. Like you just understand your ability yeah but i guess that obviously i'm sure was very difficult for the rest of the band how are you now with them oh we're really good you know i think it was difficult but i think a lot of them got to try out their own things as well you know like 
Josh is an incredible jazz musician and has uh, made a bunch of jazz, um, made an album and, you know, done what he like is genuinely like just naturally a superhero at, which is sort of swing dance music. And um, he's a superhero at everything else as well. But um, Christian has been able to dedicate his whole life to fucking painting, which has always been something that he's spent all his time doing, free time doing and uh, having a couple shows and like really transforming his art and having like these rapid aha sort of like life shifting moments of creativity. Um, you know, Orfeo just started this fucking like beautiful, uh, sound healing, um, architecture that basically mixes light and sound and, and manipulates your chakras. And, you know, this like enlightening experiential fucking, um, I don't know, orbit. Um, a lot of the guys are doing stuff like this. So, so it's really cool and kind of reaffirming to see, you know. I'm sure. Do you feel like you, in terms of when you started this album or the both of the albums, because I feel like Ivis Eyes, of course, it's a little bit of a concept album tied to relationships and breakups, but I feel like as the title coming from someone who sort of underwent that shift through different projects and different name changes. I was interested in the breakdown between this being kind of personal, but also the concept of kind of conflict within oneself. Is that the connection? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's the conflict. No, it's the conflict within oneself. And particularly in this case, in the, in the meta sense, less in the, in the sense of like song by song content. Um, this album... Um, was a statement for myself that I sort of would just stop giving a fuck about uh, brand because I'm so antithetical to brand because of the nature of the way that I create, which is that um, I follow any muse. Um, I have no allegiance. I end up making music that doesn't sound like itself um, because of it. So I'll score a fucking movie or I'll, uh, you know, using like neoclassical yada yada, and then I'll I'll fucking make um, you know a hip hop album, or I'll you know make a sudden you know turn to cowboy, or I'll suddenly just want to be all on the piano. And it's just like what the fuck, yeah? Because I laugh, I cry, I sing, like I yell, I whisper, I do all kinds of crazy shit. I contain multitudes, you know. I'm deep as fuck, and so are you. So like, don't you know? Stop. And I always felt like I had this pressure to just create a single brand because that's essentially the premise of capitalism. You have a brand, right. you have brand identity, which makes for brand loyalty from your customers. They expect something. They know what this brand is. You can make slight variations on the brand. You can even try chocolate, but don't completely you know, stray from you know, the recipe of whatever the hell it is. Right. Well, that shit doesn't feel good as an artist. Like, like, I don't know. It just fucking does. That feels good as a businessman. But like, I don't, I see that as nothing but sort of imprisoning for me, you know? And uh, I don't see any redeeming monkish quality to refusing to allow yourself to express itself in the way that it wants to fucking express itself. So, yeah, I don't know. 
Um, so for me, this album was that. The Alex Ebert albums are going to be fucking whatever the fuck. You're going to be like, no, yeah. no idea from one to the next. Yeah, I love like you embrace your like love of hip hop on this record. There's like a bit of Beatles, a little bit of Bowie. Like there's things, there's yeah. all sorts of things. And I think delving into that world yeah. after spending so much time tied to that corporate brand almost, uh, which was great. Like, yeah. don't. Don't get me wrong. I've been at my best friend's wedding who used your song uh, as the right. as their wedding song. Like the and no, I love that. Legitimately, love that. you have these people that are like around me that have literally like, and I'm sure you've got that people have told you this before, but like the music has it really got into people's hearts. Into sorry, not not to sound yeah. soppy, oh God, but yeah. it, it like dived no, in. No, no, <laughs> um, no. No. And, and that's I not love even that. the like, yeah. And that's not, you know, we had a home number two. Like, I love the success of home. It's just I don't want to, I don't want to repeat successes. No, of course. Consciously, sure. for the sake of, but like, you know, we had a, a home p- version two that was like on the second album that I took off, and we just didn't put on the album because I just thought it was kind of corny to 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 do like the follow up to home, like, you know, like and just do the whole thing over. I don't know. It just like made me feel weird. You know, I didn't feel, I didn't feel, I don't know. It just was a, it was just was a hunch. So yeah, it's kind of shy away from that. I like that. And especially because performance and artistry is clearly the process is very, it's your, you, you are imbued in it. It is not like you are separate from it, from what it sounds like. So if it is affecting you so much, then of course you're not going to. Yeah, I guess your, you're right. You know, you're not going to be like spending your yeah. time on something that isn't fulfilling you, um, that ever yeah. changing you. So do you remember your very first concert that you ever went to, the first show you ever saw? Yeah, uh, Millie Vanilli. No, <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Well, to be fair, to be fair, I okay. actually went. I actually went for Young MC. Okay, but, um, okay, okay. But Young MC and Millie Vanilli were playing. Yeah. Um, but I was also a fan of Millie Vanilli. Those songs were hot. Those songs no, were, were incredible. Yeah. And, <laughs> and if you think about it now, by the way, like if Millie, I, I know people have made note of this, but I think I made it first because I, I posted long ago. But like if Millie Vanilli were to come out right now as a fucking karaoke duo, they would blow up. People yeah. would love it. Yeah. Because that's all fucking anybody does anymore. And it would be the most irreverent shit ever <laughs> for Millie, Billy, Millie Vanilli to come out right now. They'd be fucking heroes on fucking, you know, every, every one of those, you know, whatever. So anyway, um, that was yeah. First anyway, show. So that, How that was my first my you? Do you remember, thing. what do you remember I was probably, I think I was, I think I was like 10. Oh my God. Where did you grow up? In the Valley. So, it was for my birthday. Oh. Yeah. So wait, what brought you to New Orleans, which I also think is the greatest uh, place I think I've ever been to. One of, definitely up yeah. top. Yeah, well, yeah, no, it's my, it's still my, I mean, there can be other great cities, but New Orleans is definitely one of them. I love that most people have never been here. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I've never, you know, I've never even been to LA. New Orleans was like the first place when I moved oh, no to the kidding? States. Oh, no cool. was the first place I went to. No yeah. kidding. Well, it's so it's strange. It looks a little like home. It looks a little like my home in in South Africa. It looked a little like Cape Town, and a few of the areas there's the same like Dutch influence on the architecture and right, French right. 
Elizabethan, um, exactly, yeah. and French, Victorian, uh, rather, Victorian, yeah. exactly, and so it really weirdly, even just walking through like the touristy spots, it feels very, it feels very familiar. Yeah. So when did you yeah. move there? Uh, about eight years ago. Yeah, almost wow. on the nose. Yeah. That's great. So have you have you felt like you've wanted to incorporate a lot of the art and the musicians that live there? Like, how much do you collaborate with? the local scene um no i mean you know the, the, the my relationship with the city is with this is with the, the the totality of the city in a way unless it's sort of unless it's parts right. like just the heart the pulse the move the 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 heat the fucking air the river the like i love this land you know what i mean like this land is like pulsing of course in large part due to the people on it it's more of a general sort of relationship that said i revere this place like like this city is like a church to me you know and in so in so many ways because of its you know human history like just the the spirit of this place um and the people the people's spirit of it like is really what i'm in love with what inspires me every fucking day um, but in terms of like the specific music or wanting to necessarily like have a, a brass band in all my stuff or you know, being inspired to like, um, you know, to sort of really allow this music to to commingle and fuse in a concentrated way. I haven't done any of that yet. I think about it sometimes, but not yet. But I will use like, you know, the musicians here are incredible. You know, like it's and it's like a fucking honor to be in this pool of musicians. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's it's wild. And the best part about it is. They love what they're doing so much that they live here. They could easily be out in LA doing fucking exactly. sessions for however many, a thousand dollars a day. Exactly. But they're here, like, that's what makes it, like, reverent. This Must Be the Gig is produced by Adam Kivel. We'd like to thank Dean Berger and Daniel Brater for additional music, as well as the Consequence Podcast Network. Hey! If you've listened this far, why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at TMBTGPod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again and I miss you already. Consequence Podcast Network.